0: if you do get it even a little bit Um, the body Karata Sutta uh, is a a teaching on time and it's been I'm a little awkward with pieces of paper some of you know I never teach with any I feel fettered by it I prefer to just be left this be left alone but when I teach a sutra uh, I feel it's essential because Uh, As spontaneous as I am uh, I often leave out the most important points in my spontaneity and I don't care if it's at my own risk but I don't like to do that to a sutra Uh, this sutra is one of the most important and we won't be able to cover all the profound implications in just the amount of time allotted but I hope I can get us started and then uh, see what it brings up for you when we have an opportunity to talk it over together um, so the Bodhi Karata Sutta it's sometimes translated as an auspicious day like what is an auspicious day but it's also been translated as an ideal solitude and there have been four or five other translations uh, this comes the closest ideal solitude uh, is another facet of it let um, I me mean, before I get to I, I will read I won't be reading the entire sutra. Some of it is quite repetitive. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, a uh, Cambodian uh, monk uh, named Ajahn Maha Gosananda used to come to the center. And uh, he was a lot of fun and also a great teacher. He later became the patriarch of. Uh, uh, of the uh, Cambodian uh, B- Cambodian Buddhism and led a march through the minefields of Cambodia uh, and uh, he must have his, taken his own advice because whenever he would come here he would say something which this is in the early years of the center the first and second year and he would say something which was very hard to grasp what in the world is he talking about and he would say if you want to understand Dharma it's a question of does time eat you or do you eat time do you know what, I, what he was talking about um, but it's now r- uh, rather clear um, so what he was trying to say is understanding <clears throat> psychological time is uh, uh, vital because we're enslaved to time now let's make a few distinctions and as we go on uh, maybe we'll see other distinctions and ways of using it in a common sense way. There's clock time, of course. We're here together. I'm carrying something that tells me. And it's very useful. But if you examine life, you'll see that a lot of what we call life is conventional. In other words, it's it's invented by us, by human. We didn't invent the tree or the sky or thunder. So there's a lot that's nature let's say natural laws which we have nothing to do uh we're now affecting of course we're part of it i can hear someone think what about global warming uh but uh, there's a difference between that and let's say inventing television or uh inventing a language all the different things that the brilliant human mind come up with the computer in its many forms now so time is something we invented. It's the same as space. Uh, there's no such thing as miles, inches. We made that up. There's no such thing as 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock. We made that up. That doesn't mean it has to, that it's worthless. Uh, if we say how many miles it is from x to y. It helps give us an estimate of how long it will take to get there. And we look at our watch, because we've uh, done that. and. Uh, These are useful conventions that the human race has developed and they're very useful in helping us to coordinate life so that we can live together in harmony. Very necessary, that's psychological, that's clock time let's say. Then there's also physiological time you could say that is clearly the body changes as you age and uh, as we look around we're well represented by all the different age groups. I represent one. I hope it's very, very obvious. And where's my young tormentor? There he is. (laughs) He comes every time I'm here to uh, drive me crazy. (laughs) He's very good at it. Okay. Um, So it is clear that uh, something is happening. So what is psychological time, though? It's a little bit like virtual time. Uh, I got the idea from virtual, from someone who used to come here who worked on the stock market. Uh, you know, people run, used to run around like crazy. So do they still, you know, you see it on TV. And I felt like this is insanity manifested on the floor of the stock market. Uh, and it was virtual. To, there was a gap between what how the stocks were behaving and what it was how it was reported. But now. It's within seconds. You know everything is changing because of the computer. So everyone's right up to date. Virtual time is the mind makes up the notion of future. It makes it up. Uh, I'm gonna before we get into the sutra, just give you some obvious ways in which uh, what the sutra is getting at. Um, the mind invents a, pa- a future, and it also invents it it, uh, retrieves the past it goes back into experiences that have happened which have left a record in our brain and then they're retrieved probably distorted according to the present it's not like we're getting an exact photographic uh, exact uh, replica we're not Uh, we know that it gets uh, affected by the present Uh, so the past is over with the future is, has not arrived. It's not here. It's not, has not happened yet. The past has happened, never to return. Uh, and even what we call the present is problematic. Now, yet, uh, <clears throat> what Mahagosananda, Ajahn Mahagosananda was getting at, is that when time eats you, is that you don't examine, understand what psychological time is. And as a result, a lot of um, trouble for us humans. If you eat time meaning you understand time you use it but you, it is you don't let it use you then you're no longer enslaved by psychological time and I'm using a strong term I hope that's a little bit clearer as the evening unfolds um, first of all l- let's take a few moments all there is is right here and right now that's all there is let's take a, Is that it may not be clear but think about it for a moment this is it it just left. It just became the past. I just became the past, Just saying that it is the past became the past. And as for the future, the mind can make up whatever it wants to. It has complete poetic license, and it's shameless. It can make up whatever it wants to. It can make up nightmarish of futures and incredible futures that await us. None of that's going to happen, not the way it says now we're also going to get to skil- skillful uses of the future and the past now the present's a little bit more puzzling for people even the present doesn't exist uh, there's a, a zen teaching where there's a in ancient china there was a uh, a scholar who had mastered the diamond sutra that's a central teaching in the zen tradition And he was known throughout that part of China as someone who was called the master of the Diamond Sutra. And word got to him that there was some Zen master in another part of China who took issue with something he said. And he wasn't a scholar. He was just uh, something called Zen, Chan, they called it in China. And he took issue with it. And he felt, who is this upstart who takes issue with what I'm saying? He's not even a scholar. I've studied every different uh, commentaries on it. I've seen the. Indian sources of it I've gone through here and so he put in his knapsack uh, all of his volumes of writing on the Diamond Sutra and he set out to correct now whether this actually happened or not I don't know but it's not a bad story okay uh, I don't know if any of his end stories are true I don't know if the Buddha is true <laughs> it's the past and I get it and someone tells me a Buddha said this okay but it isn't the Buddha it's not a tape recording it's not a film it's some record we have and uh, so why have I devoted the last 40 years to it maybe because I'm a fool but maybe because however it came to be it's been proven to be very very helpful for myself and for others so this gentleman has the uh, his all his commentaries two thick volumes on his back and he's marching on his way to see this Uh, meditation master who's not a scholar knows a little bit about obviously and uh, he's tired and he stops at a tea house Uh, these are periodic uh, uh, places along the way where you stop Uh, and one of the meanings of tea in those times was mind refresher and there's an old woman running it who apparently was an adept or she was no she was uh, appeared to be uh, Uh, running this uh, tea house but apparently she also had some other tricks up her sleeve so uh, he said can I have some tea refresh my mind so she said I'll tell you what if you can answer I have a question about the the Diamond Sutra I understand you're an expert on it said if you can answer it you get everything free if you can't answer it you can't have anything here so he said well of course I can answer anything I, I There's no one who knows the Diamond Sutra the way I do she said okay in the Diamond Sutra it says the future there is no such thing as the future it's gone it's not here there is no such thing as the past it's gone and even the present doesn't exist so which mind with which uh, which mind are you going to refresh yourself and he's, Uh, I sense maybe I missed something here because uh, let's let me back up the future my you know that the past uh, the present no it, it's it's so rapid it's uh, even rapid is not rapid enough uh, it's just it's just so he said well uh, so which mind are you gonna refresh which mind are you gonna refresh if the future is not here the past is not here and there isn't even anything called the present and so he couldn't answer it and so as the story goes she turned him down he got no tea that day to refresh his mind so uh, and then there are, the story goes on different versions of it he goes to the Zen master and of course it always ends that he bows down and says I have all these commentaries and intellectual understanding but I didn't really understand what it is please be my teacher and help me to get enlightened you know it always has a nice Hollywood ending <laughs> this is long before Hollywood you know uh, we humans like to have a nice future awaiting us that the mind makes up heaven each religion seems to have a different version of where we go and uh, some of them sound pretty great and also where we go if we're bad boys and girls now some of I don't mean to tread on anyone's religious beliefs uh, but it is a fact that if you read the major religions they have different stories about what happens after the physical body dies that's the future okay so um, psychological time Uh, if you do something those those of you new may not have had any experience with this but many of you here take something as simple as breath awareness which typically we start people here um, by just sitting down and sitting down in a comfortable upright position and just becoming aware of respiration, of breathing. And when you begin, I've known no exception to this, uh, you'll see that the mind is wild. And it, it doesn't want to be in the present moment. This is all this is about is the present moment. It's about now. Now is well known now, isn't it? Be here now, power of now, the voice of now. Now is in, along with mindfulness, organic and, and non glutinous. Okay. Okay. So, um, help me. The early stages of senility are settling in. (laughs) Uh Where was I? Yes. So you're following your in in breath and your out breath. And everyone discovers that their mind is wild. Some people get very discouraged and don't come back. Uh, Everyone is. Uh, is, is really shocked or doesn't feel so good about how wild and full of uh, torment or it's just uh, constantly being stirred up it's here but if you look carefully you see mainly it prefers to be in an imaginary future or a past that's over check it out those of you who are new when you go home just follow your breathing and see if when you're distracted uh, I'm not going to say all the time But you'll see that, a good deal of the time, the mind has learned to prefer an imaginary future to a past that's over with. And the practice is learning how to very gently, we we start simply with just the breath. But as you know, those of you who've been doing this practice, it doesn't end with the breath. We're learning how to be in the present moment in every situation, not just in formal meditation, but every aspect of life, coming back to here now, here now, here now. And what you find, if you pay attention, it's so obvious. The mind, it's a struggle between what is, that's the present moment, and the mind's obsession with what used to be, what should be. In other words, what it's concerned with is how I used to be, how I am now, and how I will be. And we have different scenarios. If you come here, I was uh, just very greedy angry person but now I'm here I'm learning how to meditate and study the teachings of the Buddha I will be a fully enlightened compassionate wonderful human being uh, radiating metta and kindness and compassion wherever I go um, maybe that would be nice okay so um, uh, y- if you see that uh, if poses a question, uh, and I'm not going to answer it. Why does our mind prefer uh, something that's not here, the future? And there are times to envision the future, but you know what you're doing. And why does it go back again and again and again to the to the past? We'll explore it, and I'll give you some, I hope, vivid examples. But let's start with the sutra right away. First off, um, the reason I feel awkward with this, the way I was trained, I was trained many years ago by a Korean Zen master, and when he was training me to be a teacher, he said, here's how I think you should teach. He was a little different with each person he was training to to teach. He said, you should teach like a jazz musician. So I said, what? This gentleman from Korea is telling me I should teach He said, you get a theme, and then you just blow. (laughs) (laughs) So he was on, that's my name, I'm comfortable with that. Give me the theme. You can wake, ask my wife. Wake me up in the middle of the night. Anything, any, any subject, okay? And there'll be a 45-minute talk on it. <laughs> At least. Okay, so, uh, but when it's a sutra, uh, that 45-minute talk might leave out, like I've, I've given spontaneous talks on the Four Noble Truths, and, le- and uh, skip one of the noble truths <laughs> so it's very spontaneous but uh, sometimes there's some f- there's some limitations to that approach okay so when I take up a sutra I have respect for it uh, it's a translation from the Pali language for those of you who knew Pali is in the same family as Sanskrit uh, it's a it's a more uh, daily life version of sanskrit and there are a lot of words that are identical or similar or pronounced somewhat differently and uh i would encourage you to read them now many people don't read them because uh it's at the time that the sutras uh, there were no books it was written on palm leaves well first was memorized so for years people had to memorize the teachings and as a result they developed very powerful memory but also things had to be repeated over and over again to help a person remember the key points of these teachings of these discourses not just of the Buddha but in ancient times okay so as a result uh, they're not so juicy as reading uh, because they're kind of telegraphic and austere and uh, most people prefer to just get it uh, a different version of it however um, having read a fair number of the sutras uh, I'm not saying if you if you if you should open to open up a sutra and start to read it and you find that you can't relate to it you've given it an honest try it may not be right for you but a lot of the sutras what I the reason I like to teach them because uh, I've given a different one every Wednesday night is I, because I like to breathe life into them to me they're very alive at least the ones that have been for me uh, so that if you, if you get past the language barrier uh, they, these are teachings that if they have any value at all they're universal they have to they're, they're beyond time now the particulars of each culture of course are time-bound and culture-bound but the es- essence of it suffering and the cause of suffering seems to be no different in ancient India than right now the content of course varied But people were suffering even in such simple times. And these teachings emerged. So um, that's the long true. I'll get a little bit more comfortable in a few minutes. Well, Probably what will happen is I'll ditch the sutra and I'll just rant and rave. But let's see what happens. Okay. Here's the, the sutra itself. I've heard that on one occasion, the Blessed One, that's the Buddha, was staying in Savati at Jetta's Grove. Uh, Jetta's Grove is an interesting place. I uh, actually had the honor in one of the most uh, moving times in my life. I gave a Dharma talk there. Uh, It's just ruins now. But there was a very, very wealthy man. And uh, he bought this place from Prince Jetta. And Prince Jet, because the Buddha liked it, and wanted to have the rains retreats during that in India at that time, there were a number of months where you couldn't go anywhere. So that was that would be a good time to meditate. So they would have a three-month retreat. That's how the three-month tradition came up. And this person didn't want to sell it uh, to Anatta Pindika, who was a very wealthy uh, businessman who also was a very devoted disciple of the Buddha and attained high degrees of awakening. And uh, he didn't want to sell it and he said he thought he could uh, prevent it from being sold and he said if you can cover the entire field with coins then you could then I'll sell it to you and he did so uh, when I was there I, um, I, there's just basically uh, uh, stuck bricks and but it's very clear that uh, this is where the Buddha gave many many of, of his suttas okay so he was staying at the Jephthah's Grove and yeah, here it says, Pindika's monastery. He was the wealthy businessman. There he addressed the monks. Monks? Yes, Lord, the monks responded. The Blessed One said, Monks, I will teach you the summary and exposition of one who has had an auspicious day. Listen and, play, and pay close attention. I will speak. Uh, now, uh, auspicious day... This has to be understood in terms of the times where people were looking for signs from astrology, the stars, um, all kinds of occult, for is this a good day to do this, is this a good day to do that, and wanted, uh, is this an auspicious day, shall I wait some other time? And the Buddha is going to give a rather different meaning of what that term auspicious at least meant to him. You shouldn't chase after the past hmm that means what's been said chase after the past well why shouldn't you chase after the past let me give you some examples of what we do with the past uh, I'm I'm gonna get to the give you the essence of the sutra and slowly move through it and give a few other little commentaries over the years that uh, I hope clarify it here are some examples of what happens in the, uh, in the past how, how we use the past Uh, I have some old friends who I went through University of Chicago with, and we had a wonderful time there. And when we get together now and then, uh, they're still lovely people, but it's very hard for me to be with them. Our interests have diverged, but they're always talking about the good old days at the University of Chicago uh, or the bad old days that are coming up because we're all in our 70s. And there's nothing about what's going on now because when we talk about now, it's everyone comparing illnesses and where to get the right doctor for that particular <laughs> illness. <laughs> so first of all, the good old days weren't that good. You know, we were still being driven crazy by exams and finishing dissertations and relationships that were breaking up and uh, competing and being ambitious and failing and succeeding. And, uh, they were good, but uh, not that good. Okay. And the bad old days, I don't know, but we, people are, of course, the baddest day of the bad old days is death. Now, when you examine, as I have, because I've been involved in this for many, many years, of death awareness is a central part of the Buddhist teaching. It's not morbid. It's to help you uh, appreciate life. Um, when you, uh, so, and we, we have it here, we, we meet, we have uh, practice groups on it every year, Uh, And when people are experienced, talk about fear of death, when you look very closely at it, it's the fear of the idea of death. And that's, again, the future. In other words, the mind imagines a time when it won't be here, where it won't be here to enjoy its great book collection, wonderful uh, rare teas from China. Uh, None of this will be here. We have to leave it all behind, all the people we love, everything. Uh, And the mind uh, but right now you could be 40 or 50 years away from dying. There are young people who are terrified of death. Okay, So when you look closely and if you see it's the idea of death, that doesn't mean we're not going to die. Of course we will. But when, we, when the time comes to die, it will be a real moment. It will be now. It will be some here and some now, and it will be just as real as what's going on for us right here as we speak to each other and listen. But until that time comes... The mind can make up it makes up things which then of course poisons now because it can be long before any of this happens in the meantime all we have is now it's important to grasp that this is it I asked one of my teachers in in Thailand once about I went on a whole fancy about enlightenment and staying, and he, and he sh- grabbed me and shaked me and he said this is it oh mean this is it He said yeah this is it (laughs) okay if you didn't get it you'll get it because there's nothing to get there's only this and it's gonna keep being that way okay so um, so so that uh, in the extreme if you don't understand so fear no we'll get to fear because fear is very often the future Uh, and this is the future So based on what we know from the past, we know that everyone dies. We've seen it, we've read about it, and then we project the future. We make up a future where, whoa, uh, as the Italians say, everyone must die, it's a proverb. Uh, Possibly even me. Uh, I think so, yeah, I don't think, none of us are gonna get out of this. Even Junior here, sorry. I don't know how to break it to you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, so when you start to see how the mind constructs reality and how that construction takes you out of all that we really have, where we life is lived out in the here and now, this is, this is it. If you don't like this it, okay, change it, but this is what you have. And so then it'll prefer to make up some fanciful future. But also we know how to make ourselves miserable. Let's stay with the past for a moment. Um... Uh, my wife is from Russia from the old Soviet Union and uh, one of her friends uh, had two husbands both died in the gulags in Soviet Union and so my wife could you help her she's so tormented and uh, this was a long time ago that both of them died she married uh, someone who was when Stalin was imprisoning a whole bunch of people she imprisoned this woman's husband it was a time when Stalin he always was pretty crazy but he, he, all kinds of poets, writers, doctors, anyone who, was, who had a brain in their head and might threaten him, send them off to the gulags and many of them died there. Okay. And then she married his best friend and he died there. And she had two sons and I got to know the, the two sons and they loved their mother but they can hardly be with her because in talking to her, she didn't want to go near anything like what I'm saying tonight. For her, she was holding on to the past. Uh, this sounds weird, but maybe some of you know we all do this sometimes. Holding on to the past, she wanted to suffer. There was something in her that couldn't let go of the past, and my suggesting that if you could be aware of that wound, or that happened 50 years ago, uh, what about now? What about being with your sons now? Uh, without this always being between you and what we did come up with, which won't surprise you, is that she felt that if she uh became free of the painful memory, it was as if she didn't love those two men and it has nothing to do with that and if they were alive, you know now in pot you know they're over they're watching over me I don't know if anyone's watching over me, but people do talk that way I know that Joe's gone but he's he's watching over me right now he's gonna help me out and he looks after me maybe he is but I don't know it doesn't have to be Joe you know it could be Jane or whoever Uh, some of you may know but I don't I don't know Uh, and somehow they wouldn't suggest you better keep suffering over what happened to us if they cared about her they said for goodness sakes we're we're on the other side we're okay here even that, I don't know if that's true, but I'm, I gotta say something. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, she can't let go of that because uh, that's a large part of who she is. And to let it go, she can't envision uh, that. Now, I don't wanna go deeper than that because you, some of you are therapists and you know, of course, it, all kinds of things could help her, but she's gotta wanna be helped. So some of us repeat wounds from the past, again and again and again. Now, I'm sure, maybe not Junior. You haven't been around, you haven't been cuffed up, you know, pushed around by life enough yet. Maybe you'll be fortunate and get get through this without that. But most of us, we have our ups and downs. There's some wonderful things in life. As the Chinese put it, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. I found it to be accurate. No matter how much you meditate, they don't go away. But you learn how to relate to them in a way that makes a huge difference. So um, can we learn how to relate to the to the past in some way uh, since so many wounds are from the past and if unexamined we keep suffering in the present moment as something that could have happened any number of years ago how we were treated what happened in our family life what happened in school what happened in the military and so forth I had a terrible anti-semitic sergeant sergeant spade I was suffering Fifteen or twenty years after I was out of the army, Sergeant Spain was probably dead by then, but he was very alive again and again. anytime I would think of him, like with meta, someone would say, "When I first learned meta, send meta to someone who you really don't like." So there would be Sergeant Spain. I couldn't do it. That son of a! I can't. Why would I send him meta? He tormented me for months until something. Well, it ended okay, but uh, so. It, if you start to see it and at a certain point I, I did see it it's it's like a bullet is lodged inside of you and if you're not extracting it it's taking its toll on the system and yet it's possible to extract it and the in in uh, in the Buddha's teaching it's through awareness and insight insightful seeing when you see this if, I'm putting in words but that's not what has the healing power not the words when you see that this event is over And what you have is a trace, a memory of it. And you look at it very carefully without judging it. You're not for or against it. You let it tell its story. It plays itself out. It's as if you digest the wound, and then you're done with it. Or at least it's dramatically less painful. And so you can heal wounds in the past with this practice, but you can only do it in the present moment because that's all there is. So the past uh, is very much with us and somehow or another uh, this is radical. The Buddhist teaching is always radical because it's telling you that to look at life and to relate to the same life that everyone else lives but in a new and fresh way. We're learning how to relate to the past in a way that most of us don't relate to the past and that is to see it as something that's over and that has left a residue. It's left its, a trace in our consciousness. And something in the light of awareness the healing takes place one meaning for mindfulness mindfulness for those who are really new is a key term Sati in in this teaching is that which sets things right it's not a bit there are a number of meanings to uh, to Sati mindfulness but one of them is that mind state which sets things right And if you've been practicing for a while you know that whatever it is if you're really mindful of it and mindfulness has no judgment in it it's like a clear mirror uh, something happens that's usually beneficial. Okay, um, so the past we can then we can also romanticize the past, like I think my friends from the University of Chicago did to some degree, because the pa- the present doesn't seem to be providing us with enough fulfillment. So uh, we keep keep that alive. We make up a past, bring it into the present moment. In the meantime, how can that be as alive and as vivid as the throbbing of of real life that's going on here? It's a memory. It's a memory that has certain, uh, you could say, energy. And that energy makes us feel better than we're feeling with what's happening here. But what the practice is saying is, if you look at what's happening here, that can take you to a place that's way beyond, in a sense, the pathetic pleasure of reliving a fake past. Or somewhat distorted past let's say uh, with aging it's a big one uh, I can speak from my own experience I've learned a lot of how to age it's a it's a real art and there's no question that you can learn how to age and age old age of course your body will go through problems but you you can have a very you can have a good time one of the main ways I've seen it myself is that you compare yourself your capacities how you used to be so for example I'm a long uh, I walk a lot and long distances and fast I always have I love to walk Um, I have to admit don't tell Michael and Ryan I don't like the formal walking too much but just out you know on my own in nature or on the street but you know this you know lifting moving play lifting. if you're from Brooklyn you can't do that slow stuff (laughs) my nervous system is just not, not I can't do that I can't do Japanese tea ceremony my nervous system can't handle it okay if they came to to Brooklyn they would go crazy Mm -hmm. by everything how fast everything is okay so um, where am I who's my prompter what yeah aging yeah okay (laughs) okay so so let's say uh, do I need to explain that one (laughs) I'm a specimen all right uh, I used to love to take a walk to Brookline from Cambridge and go straight to Brookline. I could make it a good time enjoying it. I really enjoy walking and straight. And then a few, a number of years ago, I discovered about midway through <laughs> huffing and puffing. And, and I didn't honor it. I sort of pushed myself, and it took a lot of the joy out of it. I made it into some kind of endurance test, so getting ready for what, the walking Olympics? For geriatric walking Olympics? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then finally I realized, duh, I see. I don't have that capacity anymore. And if I keep comparing myself of how I was with how I am now, uh, I'm going to spoil now. and, And I keep telling everyone else, this is it. So I better listen to my own stuff so I just sit pause and I sit there There's a park about halfway through in Brookline I sit down I enjoy the trees children playing maybe three minutes five minutes follow a few breaths I'm refreshed and I finish the journey Um, this one I've said a number of times some of you have heard it coming home from the dentist in Brookline I uh, this is just a few years ago I get on the T and it's all the seats are taken I'm holding on to the strap and uh, suddenly, the woman sitting, a young woman, I would, my guess would be around 20, 21, she looks at me, smiles, gets up, and points, and gives me her seat. I say, oh, how, what a, a lovely woman, how nicely brought up she is. You know, and I assume she's getting off at the next stop. So I sit down, I'm happy to have the seat, after the dentist, sure. And she doesn't get off the next stop. Hmm, it's probably the stop after that. And she doesn't get off after that one. And she doesn't get up, uh, suddenly my mind became panic-stricken, hysterical. And what it was it saying, was, it went uh, crazy. And It was saying like, wait a minute, she gave me that seat, probably in her mind, hey, pop, take a load off your, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, hey, old-timer, I know it's, hey, gramps, you know, like, you know, saying, I'm the person who gives up, I give up, I give up my seat for people, no one gives it up for me, I'm not that kind co- But I'm sitting there, and at a certain point, she didn't get off at all. We both went to Park Street and got off at the same stop. But at a certain point, the training does kick in if you do it. At a certain point, it was so hilarious. I just saw myself creating unnecessary suffering. Because the truth was, she perceived me accurately. I didn't really need to sit down, but I appreciated it, and it was nice of her. And it isn't, you know, it's going to get used to it old boy because things like this <laughs> there was someone I have a friend who uh, you get a, a reduced ticket price at one of the Harvard theaters if you're a senior citizen and so he bought a ticket and the person said oh you're entitled to I forgot what's uh, 20 10% off for senior he said no I don't want to pay that I'll just pay the whole thing <laughs> so does it work this is what the Buddha called delusion we're not living you know it's just unskillful it's not wise and we spend we exhaust ourselves fighting life fighting every the reality of just the way it is and it would be we would save so much energy if we just opened up to and received now a lot of the reasons why we prefer the future of the past is because we don't like the present but the truth is If you want to improve the quality of your life, and this is, uh, you have to do the practice and see if um, this is true for you, or am I just deluded? Because, of course, I would say this. I started this center. I've been practicing. I've given 40 years of my life to this. What do you think I'm going to say? The practice is no good. It's worthless. So don't trust me. I tell you, every time I speak on Wednesdays, I'm telling you that. Listen to it, weigh it, but understand, I have a vested interest in this. So, be careful. Good. Okay, so uh, as you start to pay attention, you start to see all the ways in which the mind squanders energy. just wastes it. Uh, And the amount of energy we we spend resisting what's happening uh, is is squandered. Uh, If we would just open up to the way it is, that energy is released from the many ways in which we're fighting. And then it's available to us to be used, as we see fit. Uh, for example, and this parent, because I still know this woman from Russia, if she could open up and see that the the suffering that she experienced so many years ago because of two husbands both dying in the gulags, uh, and in some way maybe have a good cry. But I don't it's not do it in order for that to happen, but just see what it is it's a painful memory that she is holding on to for whatever reason that if that was let go of there's tremendous energy held captive in in attachment holding something life is fluid it's in movement and we get fixated it takes energy to hold on to something like that and if she could see that and let go that energy is freed it's liberated and then she can use it in ways that like her sons would be more would be happier to be with her. Uh, she could enjoy the simple joys of the day. Right now, um, it's not happening. Okay, so uh, you, you can see what I'm getting at. So the past, for some reason, that's, now that would, uh, Mahagosananda would say that is the that is time eating you. Words, because it's unexamined, duh, uh We're living in a reality in, in such a way that really is not It's not wise or compassionate for ourselves. And if it isn't for ourselves, it affects everyone in our life. She's affecting her sons. And she's affecting her friends who have the limited capacity to be with her. Because it always comes back to Siberia again and again and again. Okay. I'll teach you a summary and example of one who has had an auspicious day. Listen and play cl- pay close attention. As you say, Lord, the monk's laid the blessed one said, you shouldn't chase after the past. Okay. I think you have you, endless examples, but I'm giving you one. I've given you enough. I think you, can, you have your own, probably. Or place expectations on the future. Or is build your hopes on the future. And this is a more complex one, because then people typically will say, does that mean hope is irrelevant here? No, it doesn't. But let me give you uh, an example of, from my own experience, and this is dramatic, uh, and to the best of my ability to remember it and to report it to you, true. Uh, myself and two other Americans were the first Americans to practice uh, Zen in Korea. We, went, we did a three-month retreat at a monastery called Sudoksa, way up in the mountains in, in Korea, South Korea, obviously not North Korea. Um, and in this three-month retreat, I was the only lay person, everyone else was a monk. We didn't know that they had an ancient tradition in Korea. On day 45 of the 90-day retreat, you'd have to go for one week without sleep, mandatory. I'm serious. Okay. So we heard about that. We went, we went crazy. You know, we were already back in the United States. Why did I come here? These people are nuts. They didn't, why didn't, this is the fine print. They didn't tell us about this. <laughs> you know, uh, we thought it'd be, ah, the wisdom of the East, going to Korea, practicing Zen. You know, we had all kinds of uh, childish, romantic fantasies about our future. Okay, it got us there. It got us to travel there, to raise the money, to get there and all that. And we were beside ourselves. We really were seriously thinking of leaving, but then we realized that we were like diplomats. We were the first Americans to practice in in Korea. It's like we were sitting, but we had an American flag. You know, <laughs> you know, we're representing our country. We can't go home. They'll think we're wimps, and Americans are wimps. They can't do meditation. The monks already thought I couldn't because I was a lay person. and the other two monks. Well, let's see how they do. They probably these are Americans. What are they? You know. They just like comfort. So we couldn't leave because of pride. So I went, there was this old Korean Zen master. He was somewhere between, I don't remember, 96, 98. None of his body worked. They had to carry him in. Four monks carried him in. His mind was crystal clear. But he, he couldn't, didn't really walk much, and he couldn't do much. And I told him this. This was about the second day. We stayed up all night the first day, and remember there was uh, seven more to go, six more to go. And we were miserable, just miserable. And so he listened to me carefully, and then he said, look, what is so difficult for you, granted, staying up for seven days is a difficult thing for a human being to do, but it's been done many, many times over the centuries. Saying like, now, part of why it's so unbearable for you is you're carrying around the idea seven days without sleep and that is just making things worse. Now, if you just take take each event in this moment, time to sit, sit, time to do walking, walk, time to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, time to eat, eat, time to sit, just take it moment by moment and watch how your mind makes up a seven day scenario where uh, you go insane, uh, they carry you out, you fail, Uh, where the uh, ambassador from uh, America, Tells the president, and you know we're never allowed to. Li- I don't. Know, I'm... Okay. Uh, and it was so helpful. Was it difficult? Of course. Would I inflict it on anyone here? No. First of all, you wouldn't do it, would you? Of course not. So that's why I wouldn't try it. Uh, but by just taking it moment by moment, it was a lot easier. Just a lot easier, and we, and we got through it. And so it was a simple advice, sort of. In other words, you're burdened by an imaginary future that is much worse because of what your mind is making up about what it's going to be. And if you see through that, this is the mind inventing a future. And that falls away. It loses its power. You still have a difficult task. And, and people, we definitely got sleepy. Everyone did. And everyone would rotate it. You would carry a stick. It was called the stick of compassion. Right. <laughs> and... And you'd give it no. Actually, you'd bend. It was you'd whack the person if they if you knew what you were doing, in the right parts of the back, and suddenly that would perk you up. In fact, you're supposed to ask for it. But if you're asleep, you can't ask for it. So they volunteer at You. <laughs> no, I, one monk came over. He was supposed to do go like this. In other words, ask to be hit by the stick. because you're getting drowsy. This person was like this. <laughs> so the monk just took him. It wasn't me. Monk t- took him, and he said ask for ask for it to be hit by the stick so the guy went please hit me with a stick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whack whack okay those who have been on retreats at least the way I lead retreats uh, we don't use the stick I talk you to death <laughs> in other words if you're sitting and I see people going like this you know like nodding off and have sent so out uh, bring your body into an upright posture you know <laughs> <laughs> You know, what we call euphemistically a guided meditation <laughs> encouragement It's to wake you up. If you were all alert, I wouldn't say anything. We just sit. What do you need to hear what I have to say? You know what to do. It's simple. Just follow, you know. Okay, so uh, now think of you probably, little things happen during the day, uh, if you think about it in your life, because this is not meant to burden you with a bunch of exotic experiences. It's to point to the fact this is a very practical teaching. Start to get you to see what your relationship to time is. Which got me to look at the clock. See, conventional time is useful. Uh, I think I better finish this up. (laughs) See why I need a script? Okay. 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 So remember, it's don't chase after the past or place expectations on the future. What is past is left behind. These are the Buddha's words. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, or is, how is it for you right here and right now? You clearly see it right here. Now this is crucial. This is the essence of Vipassana meditation so that even if let's say the mind is futuristic or it's dwelling in the past that's happening now it's very important if you can see this when you have memories the event is over the mind is imagining a time that's already over but then it's a, then we get sucked into it it's like a dream and we believe it. we might as well be back there it's as if we're back there or when but it's happening right now so you can see it we're not at war with time if you get at war with time you turn yourself into a battlefield and the practice will be so grim and joyless, you won't want to do it. It's not necessary. It doesn't even work. We already have enough conflict. Don't add any more conflict. So what you do is you see in the present moment, the mind is imagining the past. In the present moment, the mind is imagining the future. It's as welcome as anything else. There's, there's no difference. It's what is. The, it's the content of the present moment. So. Seeing clearly, now that's uh, a lot of the heart of Vipassana meditation. The English word for it is insight. Vipassana insight or Vipassana in Sanskrit. Insight is special seeing or deep seeing or seeing into. It's inner seeing. That means we're learning to develop a mind that's steady, clear, nonjudgmental, that sees things accurately. And right now the way we see things we see things again through yesterday we're back to the past again whatever your conditioning is it's between you and what's going on if you're of a certain religion and you're at war with another religion you meet see that person you don't see them you see some stereotype of them it's between you or uh, if you've been living with someone what a spouse partner um, what's the right the language now that's good enough uh, and if you've been living with someone for many, many years, images develop of them, conclusions about them. You don't really see them in a fresh way when they're in your presence. But you can see the mind doing that. It's sort of the past is, is in between, subtle. Is between, It's memories of how this... Yes, they do say this uh, every day when they come home from work. Uh, and you see how the mind is seeing them through a haze, in a sense, subtle one. Of yesterday it's it's an image a conclusion once you see that it falls away and the person is a little bit more fresh when you get you can learn how to do it it's not uh, so special when you learn how to do it the person is really there as they are and they may say the same thing that they've been saying for 20 years and you also see that your mind is seeing through your preoccupations your images and once that falls away Uh, What you say, what you behave, what you do, uh, it can be what you would do anyway, but it has a different energy because it's based on it's alive. Uh, The practice, another way of saying the Buddha was fully awakened is saying the Buddha was fully alive. Fully alive means no separation. No separation. Our practice is learning how to widen our capacity to receive our own experience without judging it intimately Enter co- into communion with whatever it is you don't want to enter into communion with. Fear is a big one. I have to, but you, we've already dealt with it. But I just want to make sure you have this because it can help you a lot. A lot of fear, not all fear. Some fear is intelligent. Uh, it's warning you about hey, if you do this, there's a good risk that you might be da da da. Fine, then do something about it or avoid it. But very often there's a difference between the capacity of the mind to think, which is good, that's part of being human, and the compulsion of the mind to think. So when the mind uh, has fear about something and then it repeats it to, to itself over and over and over again, then it's not really helping you, especially if you're not acting on it, maybe there's nothing to do. But if you examine fear, next time you do it, I think you may find that many fears, perhaps most, I have found this to be so, but see if you do. The soil out of the where the fear grows, just like a plant, is thinking, and the thinking is about some horrible future, uh, something in the past that's going to happen again. Maybe you had a, a relationship that ended painfully, and you know, you have a chance of making a new connection with someone else. And suddenly you find yourself ambivalent or pulling back. And fortunately, we have armies of psychotherapists who are glad that you're that you have this problem and also meditation teachers because if you weren't suffering I'd have to get an honest job I've had those honest jobs I'm happy doing this okay um, so as you begin to see that the root of the fear is not necessarily tr- it's thinking about it f- the future and as you look at it it's not that you have to analyze it it's, p- it's patently obvious You realize the mind is making up something, and then, of course, the reaction is fear. As you see through that, that starts to lose its potency. Maybe the first time you don't want to look at it. Well, part of the training in Vipassana, a large part, we call Samadhi, we're enabling, we're training the mind so it's steady enough, stable enough, so it's not pushed around by the different states that visit. Look, the quality of your awareness can become like a flame, so that no matter what's in front of it, the awareness is stronger than it. Uh, can you even just imagine that you're already really free you're certainly very you're way on your way to being free because you're not intimidated by your own productions it doesn't seem that way It seems like this is happening to me but when you look carefully at it it's you're you're playing all the parts the stuff is coming from your mind you're looking at it you're intimidated by it. you identify with it then you have to do something about it it's it's a uh, a one person show but When the mind is diluted, it doesn't see it that way. So awareness starts to show you the truth. That's when the Buddha says, be a lamp unto yourself. That's what he means. So we're developing a quality of seeing. Seeing clearly and accurately is what will free you. Not belief in, I believe in the Buddha. I believe in the Four Noble Truths. uh, And you you can go like this 10 million times and bow down 10 trillion times and chant till you have no voice left. In this path, this is a wisdom path. It's seeing clearly how we're living and unlearning what needs to be unlearned because it's not working. So we're learning how to live wisely. We're getting to to the finish line. Don't give up. Okay. So what is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see it right there. Right there. It's said twice, up emphasis. In other words, here, this is it. Not taken in. I mean, don't. In other words, not taken in means not taken in by it. Not so, getting lost in it, believing it, believing in your thoughts. And then, once you make fear, you have fear. Okay. Not taken in, unshaken. That's how you develop the heart. Ardently doing what should be done today. See, a lot of of what this is all about is we humans have an incredible ability to postpone. What we know is we have to do. We just don't do it for all kinds of reasons. Okay. Ardently doing what should be done today, for who knows tomorrow, death. There's no bargaining with mortality and his mighty horde. Whoever lives thus ardently, relentlessly, both day and night, relentlessly is not the best word for that. In other words, uh, more and more as it becomes continuous, it becomes a natural way of of living. You prefer to be in the present moment as it is to living an imaginary life. Both day and night has truly had an auspicious day. So says the peaceful sage. That's the Buddha. Now what he's saying is, this auspicious day... It's not about what you're, how the stars or you're reading your palm. There may be some truth in that or some soothsayer or some charm or all the different ways in which we humans we're so fragile and vulnerable and life is so uncertain that we want people to tell us, am I okay, is this okay, can I do this, should I marry this person, shouldn't I? Well, the Buddha is always throwing it back to us again and again and again. That's an auspicious day when you're present, you're fully present let me um i'll close with two other teachings that are giving the same message Um, i'll just give you the essence of one of them Uh, the buddha is with a bunch of meditators and someone comes by and says to the buddha my goodness look at how radiant everyone is here in other words his students the meditators uh what's your secret so the buddha says They don't dwell in the past and they don't hanker after the future Uh, they nourish themselves on the present moment okay uh that's where the real energy is that's but do it you know i'm not going to explain it anymore because when you do it you'll see it's such an obvious difference when you're uh, mindful and not living in a make-believe world it's a different quality of consciousness the quality of your life is different okay um also, another example from a diff- it's called a sutra, the elder Sutra is an old monk who lives alone, goes to arms, arms around to get food alone, walks alone, meditates alone, and he's very proud of that. He says, "I'm, I, uh, I'm in solitude, ideal solitude, I live alone." And some of the monks, they don't, they're a little puzzled by it. They go to the Buddha and the Buddha says, "Bring him here," and he talks to them. And he, sa- and he says, "So the old monk. This elder, it's called the Elder Sutra. Sutra. He says, um, "I'm uh, I dwell in solitude, in ideal solitude." The Buddha says, "That's one kind of solitude; it's external." He said, "But uh, the real solitude is when you're living in the present moment. It's not that the 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 old monk, the elder, is saying there're no people ahead of me, there're no people in back of me, there're no people alongside of me, and it was physically, I'm always alone." And that feels good so isolation solitude and the Buddha is saying yeah that that can be useful but the real solitude has to do with internally that is you're not tyrannized by a, a future and other words, there's no one in front of you it's not a person it's that your mind is preoccupied with what's going to be and you're not caught up in the past no one behind you and even in the present moment it's intimate the connection with the present moment is direct rather than mediated by all kinds of whatever. Okay, so um, I think maybe that, perhaps that's enough uh, for this. Just one other thing to, um, these are questions that are often asked, and I know some of you have to leave, and you might think of that these teachings are a little bit stupid. Uh, for example, does that mean I can't plan? If the future is, you know, an illusion, does that mean that I have no past? If people said, you know, you meet someone new and you go to have a coffee with them. And you say, well, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, I practice at CIMC. <laughs> Where'd you go to college? Nope. <laughs> Did you have parents? Nope. <laughs> uh, it's not about. It's not we're not at war with the past Uh, it's just we know fully that we're planted in the present moment and describing what came before there's no suffering there we do have a past it can even be a source of strength if you you know some 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 people even have pasts that are good they even had parents who loved them I know it's hard to believe I had two parents who loved me in spite of that look how I turned out I can't help. It's not their fault. At any rate, uh, so you can have a pass. Don't worry about that. And then we had a practice group here many years ago, and, uh, and at the end of it, we had a go around, and, people, and this person I knew was very into the practice, and he, he looked sad. I said, what's the problem? He said, oh, I think the practice is great, but does this mean I have to give up my job? I said, what's your job? He says, I'm a city planner. <laughs> no uh, in other words when you're doing planning you're firmly planted in the present moment and you're aware of the fact that of necessity you're making an educated guess about uh, we're all doing that I had to make a plan to be here and initially to schedule it for here and make sure I don't have something else to do and you have to so it's not we're not at war with the future we're not at war with the past we're not at war with the present we're just learning a new way to relate to time so that's what it means to liberate yourself from being enslaved to psychological time. Um, period. Okay, those of you who have to leave, it's good time, but I want to make use of what little time we have. We don't have to wait till everyone leaves. Now, another thing, if you can only stay for a few minutes and think it'll be rude if you have to leave in the middle of the discussion, to me it isn't rude. Stay as long as you wish, and when it's time to leave, just leave. Okay, anything um, we can talk over together? Please, let's not wait. Let's get started. Please. What happened to the monk in the minefield, your friend the teacher? He died just a natural death. Please. I have a question about practice. Sure. So, uh, I find uh, that practice is not easy. It's not, if you make, the other difficult? So, if I make, uh, I have to make myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it torture even here? Sometimes. Yeah, of course. Now I'm going on a uh, long journey. I'm moving away, so I can't be here. So I'm taking a long drive across the country, and where I'm going Midwest, the there is no. Like you sure? Um, probably, I don't know. I, I there, there are more and more places that are uh, starting to pop up. So how I yeah, let's but let's go back to, the, let's go back to the grim, joyless thing. First this is not meant to be cod liver oil. We're like cod liver oil that our mommy stuffed into our mouths so we get enough uh, now they have all these scientific terms. you know we have omega-3 and omega6, 5, seven, nine, and vitamin D, and you know it's got all these incredible things. Our knees will be okay, our heart will be okay, the brain will function. Just have your fish oil. My mother didn't know any of this. Just just eat, drink your fish oil and shut up. Okay, she didn't have the scientific evidence to prove why I should do it. I wouldn't have cared anyway. Um, Why is it so grim? Now, uh, this is a skill that we're learning. Sometimes, I don't know you, sometimes that kind of experience means you're trying too hard. And it means that there's some striving and something you're trying to achieve. And maybe it's the way you've done everything else. Uh, it's not it's quite common and in, the, in this area where everyone is you know, you know a lot of people anyway have school and jobs and all that there's a lot of uh, you know striving. Uh, you do need effort but it's right effort and the effort is balanced it's somewhere between striving which which uh, just poisons the practice and being so casual that you just drift off all the time so it's finding and it varies from moment to moment some days we have a lot of energy some days not so much And to begin with, it's like any new skill. Can you think of some other skill? Did you master it right away? I don't think so. And let's say people who write, probably more uh, in the old days with typewriters, uh, there's probably more paper in the waste paper basket than eventually becomes a book. So it's part of life. You're learning a new skill. Now, it may be that this skill is, is very challenging, more challenging, but why do you do it? I may I may ask you why do you do it? When um, think it, um, will make, uh, it will get me where I am well, where's that? Where i more, or more life or, um, <coughs> s- not mm, I understand happy, Yes. Okay, well, you will... See, okay, I understand. There's a difference between pain and suffering. Uh, the the Buddhist teaching locates so much of our sorrow in the psyche. That's the source of it. But it, there's always going to be pain. But that's different than torment, where the mind can turn just even a, 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 a painful... Someone getting up and giving a seat, like to me, turn that into torment. Uh, that's extra, you know. Okay. So, um, first off... Uh, take a look at yourself you know and and uh, here's a suggestion a practical one since you seem to nod when I mentioned maybe you're striving too hard and that does first of all you can't last that way this is a marathon it's not a sprint it's a lifetime's work it's not two weeks to anything or two weekends to something uh, I, int- I, I intend to do this intend I, I will be practicing this until my last breath and I've been doing it for quite a while. And I say, you mean after all these years, you're not you're not finished, perfect, cooked? I haven't met anyone who is. I don't know if the Buddha was. If you're human, even the Buddha, after full enlightenment, so many challenges. People tried to kill him, defamed him, monks who didn't understand what he was talking about, etc. So life continues to be challenging, but we learn how to relate to it in a very different way. So that so that. Um, Here's a, a practical suggestion. Let's say you get up in the morning. I understand it's easier here to do it, and that's the reason why here exists. We, it's it's based on the fact that we need. It's helpful to have some company. The time may come where you won't. You can have it or not. I hope so, because if you can only sit with a crowd of you know Hollywood extras who come in here, so you can sit, uh, then uh, that's not going to go too far. Because then you go to the Midwest, and meditation, medica- is that like mediation? <laughs> uh, first of all, there are plenty of meditation in the Midwest. I don't know where you're going, but but let's say even if you can't, but right now you're here. Let's say it's bre- you get up in the morning, wash up, and it's and you've set aside a time for you to sit. And you're at your kitchen table, and it's almost a few seconds away from time to sit. And suddenly you feel this strong resistance, something in you doesn't want to sit because right now it's not a fun activity it's not pleasurable and the mind very much functions on the pain pleasure principle oh, Pavlov was right Skinner you know if you we like it <laughs> Fido runs after the bone punish Fido he doesn't want to go there anymore so we're not in some ways not so different uh, instead of marching yourself at gunpoint uh, to your place of sitting pause and just be aware of the resistance. Maybe you don't even get to your... You you are sitting on a cushion. Don't even sit on your cushion. Just you're at the breakfast table, and you feel this tightening up. Start there, because that's true. Uh, uh, If the breath can help you, great, but even without it. So instead of forcing yourself to get to some what you think you should do, at least sometimes, start with just exactly what you describe. Because right now, the way you presented it, that's an obstacle to your meditation but in the deepest sense this, the whole principle behind this form of meditation is it isn't an obstacle to your meditation it is your meditation there was a great Indian yogi named Shantideva and he said that these the, um, the, uh, the the most damaged the most difficult obstru- uh, 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 obstruction to to getting enlightened is to have no obstructions or is but you see but many people get discouraged at this and so but there's something in you that you see you don't have confidence in it yet because the real confidence maybe you've read some books and maybe there's a longing to improve the quality of your life and at some sense do you do you think there is a real chance that this could be helpful okay so you have some you could call it faith sadha or confidence or conviction and you need that just to get going you know But finally, that won't be enough to take you until you start uh, personally experiencing the fruit of practice. When you start to see, not because I said so, or the Buddha said so, or Shanti Deva said so, because you see, whoa, this is a useful skill I'm learning here. But until that comes, look, some of my most miserable, if this is any solace, miserable moments in my life, I remember one, I'll never forget it, sitting on the cushion, and it was uh, an hour of sitting, and... I was in so much physical pain, I was ready to jump out of the window. And when the bell rang, and I wasn't meditating, I was just, it was just survival, just sticking with it. When the bell rang and the sitting was officially over, officially over, suddenly the meditative mind emerged because I wasn't officially supposed to be meditating. It was no longer a degree-granting program, it was no, you know, it was just, and suddenly I found myself relaxed and open, experiencing breathing, hearing sounds it's not as complicated as we make it but if you have some goal like you have a a worthy goal look typically suffering is what brings us to this it's the best motive but okay but then we practice in order to get rid of suffering that uh, just take care of each moment a byproduct of that is that it takes care of the suffering If you get obsessed with getting rid of suffering you're compromising the quality of right the here and now attention and granted it does take a certain amount of conviction you know to, to uh, until th- this new skill after all what w- what is what is wisdom it's skill in living perhaps it's the hardest thing to learn based on the record of the human race we're not that good at it does anyone want to disagree I, we're not the sharpest shed in the tool uh, we're not the sharpest tool in the shed we don't seem to learn from history, even though historians are constant. When I went through history classes, we study history in order to learn, for, not to make the same mistakes. I think I study history to find out we keep making the same mistake. So that's valuable. But then the question is why? Okay. So there's something important we're not learning, and that is wisdom is the art of living. Okay. Is that going to be uh, easier or harder than the art of learning how to bake a cake or how to uh, hula hoop? Or how to do surfboarding or other things that at first we're not doing well so uh, keep at it now when you are with a group great but let's say when you're not with a group maybe the mind will throw up oh my god I'm on my own this is horrible become aware of all the psychological client the psychological climate that in a way is making it harder for you here's what my Korean teacher would say don't make hard difficult don't make easy don't make anything it's just what it is it's don't name it you know because once you name it in a way you poison it you know because words are very powerful conditioners am I making a little bit of sense where are you going in the Midwest Indiana there's a a very wonderful Japanese Zen teacher there Okamura it's a Soto Zen is gonna be a lot of Japanese ritual and ceremony and everyone has a Japanese name which I put in 10 years of that stuff I've had enough it's hard enough just being an American Jew to let alone, you know, on top of that Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.